0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Dan McConaughey. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. Thank you for the blessing, being able to gather in your name for the purpose of edification and guidance from your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning. I pray that you would bless our ears to hear well. My speaking, Lord, to be clear and accurate and that all of us would be led by the spirit of God as we go through this. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I have a different way of looking at some things. This was uh, kind of provoked by Eric's recent uh, emphasis on spiritual warfare. And having been <clears throat> in the military for a while, I have a, a lot of times I have a view of military things and warfare things that is somewhat different than people who were not in the military. And so, I wanted to take the opportunity to address an issue that's that's quite unique. And so, I'm going to call this Spiritual Awareness, How to Stay Left of Bang. And so, Left of Bang is a reference to the timeline of a deadly force incident. For example... Uh, Bang is when shots are fired, when the IED goes off, when the ambush begins. Bang is when the damage happens. Okay? Bang is when the damage happens. On a timeline, moving from left to right, right of bang is what happens after the fight begins. It's too late, in other words when you're right of bang. So when the enemy already has the advantage, already has taken action, and may already have left the scene, all of a sudden, there we are, right of bang, wondering, what just happened? What just happened? <clears throat> so, for us as Christians, what is bang? Okay? Okay? I I have three possibilities with a fourth that I think we can mistake. The fourth one is, for example, childish immaturity or stupidity, uh, foolishness, thoughtlessness. None of these can be cast out. None of them can be rebuked. None of them are, are spiritual issues. They're maturity issues. They're discipline issues. They're growing up issues, things like that. So my three possibilities. I'll start out with the easiest one first. I have encountered people, and I think we all have even been tempted to be this way, where the promised trials, tribulations, tests, persecutions, sufferings, disappointments, adversities, difficulties, tryings, crosses to bear... Pain, discomfort, and sorrow. And We see that as the attack of the enemy. But these are all things that God, that Jesus promised. He said, these are inevitable and they're necessary accompaniments to following him. In fact, he said, that's the way I'm going to make you stronger. So these are all to be responded to with joy, with rejoicing, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, and they actually do make us stronger. Some of the uh, scriptures that, that support this, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, not if, but when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Matthew uh, 5. In John 16, it says, these, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. He doesn't say, but rebuke it in Jesus' name or cast it out. It, he doesn't address that. In James 1 and 1, 2 through 4. It says, count it all joy. Leap for joy. Rejoice, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How often is it that we have a trial come up and we think, oh man, I'm really being attacked by the enemy. No, you're not. This is amazing to me. For you know, and I think that's the key, key statement right there. Do we know this? We know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? Then when you experience the trials, respond the right way. It's not an attack of the enemy. It's the blessing of God. Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces godly character, and godly character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And in 1 Peter 4, 12, it says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you fiery trial, not the attack of the enemy, as though something strange were happening to you. So there's the first one. That's the first possibility of bane in a Christian's life. But we can see from scripture that it's not bane. It doesn't do damage. It makes us stronger If we respond right. Here's the key to it. If we don't respond right, it's an opportunity for Bane to happen. Okay? Second one. This is the scariest one. This is the scariest situation that I can feature in life. Okay? This is when we become the enemy of God and make him our enemy. When we become the enemy of God and make him our enemy. This can only be dealt with by confession, repentance, and a continuation in self-control and self-discipline. But let's let's look at this. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So the implication that we first see there is that God withholds grace from the proud. Now in 1 Peter 5, five it says, "'Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. "'Yea, all of you be subject to one another "'and be clothed with humility, "'for God resisteth the proud, "'but giveth grace to the humble.'" And we think, what does that have to do with what, what we're talking about here? Well, here's what it does. That word resist, the actual meaning of that word resist when it says that God resists the proud, is it means to set an army in battle array and arrange in battle order against your enemy. So if you are proud, this is that God sets his army in battle array against you as his enemy. It's a scary place to be in. It's a, an aspect of spiritual warfare that many of us don't, don't really grasp. That when we make God our enemy, we can't cast him out. Simply by resisting, he has established us as his enemy. In James 4, it's a, James 4 verse 4, it says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that word enemy is an interesting one. It means actively hostile, hating, evading, and bitterly opposing God. So we can, by doing those two things, being a friend of the world and being proud, we have established a warfare where we see God as our enemy and he sees us as his enemy. And again, this is not bane. This is not bane because this can only be dealt with by confession and repentance. So, the third one, this is the one that is bane. This is in the life of a Christian When the enemy attacks us, this is a bane. It's the works of Satan. Destroying, devouring, disrupting, distracting, deceiving, discouraging, and disservicing the saints. These are the issues of the enemy attacking our soul. It's also described, I went through uh, four different uh, versions of the Bible to see how they used the words, Killing, stealing, making merchandise of, blinding, spoiling, decaying, rotting, defeating, wrecking, ravaging, and wasting. That's the intent of the enemy against us as the people of God. It's not the persecutions. It's not the trials that God is using to perfect us and make us us strong. And it's not the fact that God is our enemy. I'm reading through... Uh, Isaiah right now. And God as an enemy isn't what you want. It talks about how he uproots the people from the land and casts them into the... Man, that's not what we want. I'd much prefer to be attacked by Satan than to be attacked by God. So, I want to give you a short history of the concept that the military came up with. This is some interesting little facts here. The interesting little facts, okay? (laughs) The Vietnam War was the last conventional war fought. The last conventional war fought. And here's an interesting thing. The question was asked at the end of the Vietnam War, How? the Americans and the South Vietnamese have won every battle they fought and lost the war. Isn't that an interesting thought? To have won every battle and yet lost the war. And it's because that's where the transition was. We fought a conventional war. They fought an unconventional war. And as we look, we can see that the unconventional is what's going on now. So, in July of 2006, at the height of the Iraqi insurgency, American service people were being killed at unprecedented rates, and yet there was no battles. In a single month, 1,666 IEDs were successfully detonated. And thousand five—I mean, nine hundred and fifty-nine—were found undetonated. That's serious business. In September of two thousand six, seven hundred and seventy-six Americans were wounded when there was no battle. There was a guy um, in two thousand five. A bunch of videos were released. You you might remember when the videos were released of the Juba sniper. He was undetectable. He wasn't noticed. Nobody ever found him. And he killed over 100, well into the three digits. Nobody ever saw him. Terrified, that's why they call it terrorism. Terrifies him. But they couldn't see him, they couldn't find him the first response of the military was to increase the thickness of the armor, to increase the production of heavily, more heavily armored vehicles, in other words, to slow us down, to make us get tired easier, and to have us die because of the weight that, extra weight that we carried. And it didn't work. And so... There's this fellow, um, his name was uh, General James Mattis in the Marine Corps, who said, you know, we need to change our perspective. What we've discovered, and let me, let me describe conventional warfare, that impressive strength is the primary deterrent, That." war is primarily defensive. This is the American thought, and it trickles down to us because we're Americans. (laughs) It trickles down. That when somebody attacks us, we show our military bluster, and they cower. That's the way it worked for years and years and years. Even during the Second World War, the First World War, Korea, the uh, War of 1812, I mean, all of those were defensive wars. Somebody attacked us and we responded with a might that was greater than theirs and defeated them. It was all reactive and it happened right of bang. Okay? Opponents were identified by uniforms, appearance, location, and language. It was confined to a battlefield. Conventional law or conventional warfare is regulated by laws, conventions, and standards. Moral, ethical, cultural, religious, societal. As if the enemy pays attention to laws, regulations, and standards. Nuremberg, the Nuremberg trials after um, the Nazis were defeated. um, When Pol Pot was... Uh, tried as a war criminal we have these laws that we think mean something but they only mean something to law-keeping people we don't have those anymore one of the things that my son has talked about my son is a police officer here in windsor he said just be aware that the police respond after an incident When do the fire trucks and the aid cars go to the crash? Oh, after it happens. (laughs) They're not there beforehand. So, what we've learned the hard way, that the date, time, location of the fight are unknown. The number of opponents are unknown. That there are no referees, rules, laws, or regulations that the fight may or may not include weapons of any kind or of no kind, that no information can be provided regarding the opponent's appearance, size, skills, background, or location, that innocents are present that must not be harmed, and that the object of your opponent is to kill you. And based on that, General Mattis said, we need to have another plan. We need to figure out, how do we detect this before it happens? How do we walk through a crowd and notice that's an enemy when they look just like everybody else? So, he came up with the concept of what he calls the combat hunter. Combat hunter calls for increased awareness proactive seeking of threats, and a bias for action. So in other words, always ready, self-disciplined, accurate communications, the right mindset. I don't know, some of you may have heard of the concept of Cooper's colors, that are levels of awareness. You know, you can be in, in the white Awareness and that means where you're totally unaware you can be in the yellow awareness, which means that you're actively aware if if you're actively aware and you notice something And you think oh man that doesn't look right. It moves you into orange, but it also Is a distraction? So the highest level of awareness is yellow Because as soon as you get into orange Now you're distracted and you're not paying attention. You get into red where you're actively engaged, you are not aware anymore. So we want to, as much as possible, stay in this area of of yellow awareness and a toolkit. So we have a bias for action, the mindset, all of that. And so the toolkit is what Mattis called the combat tracker and the combat profiler, okay? The tracker is the observant, aware, curious, attentive, always in color code yellow. That's what the tracker does. The profiler is proactive, not reactive. He notices stuff and he has a great big, what I call an index of suspicion. He knows what to look for. So the toolbox is that you're actively aware and you know what to be aware of. So taking the initiative spiritually, how do we deal with that? Well, we're told, for example, don't be deceived. If we allow ourselves to be deceived, we set ourselves up for a fall. You remember in Ephesians 4, It says, do not give the devil a foothold. How do we give the devil a foothold? If we allow ourselves to be deceived. That's one of the ways. But we're told um, that people go around and deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth words and flattering talk. Somebody tries to flatter you, you're still left of bane if you don't do anything about it, in other words, if you fall for that flattery, who knows when that enemy, now that he has a foothold, he's going to attack. In Hebrews, it says, don't be carried away by all kinds of unusual teachings. Well, how do we know if they're unusual or not? We compare them to the word of God. And if they're unusual, and we pay attention to them, we're still left of bane, but we're setting ourselves up for the event to happen. Ephesians 5, don't let anyone deceive you with meaningless words. We're still left obeying, but if we get distracted by meaningless words, all of a sudden, we're on the verge of the enemy attacking, because we've given the enemy a foothold. We've given him that break in the wall where he can now enter in and destroy. Another one is all the times that it says in Scripture to remember and to not forget. I've I've always been intrigued with Deuteronomy 8 where Moses tells the children of Israel the days, the day will come when everything goes well. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to have crops you're going to be eating crops that you didn't have to plant or harvest you're going to pluck fruit from trees that you didn't grow you're going to have, be eating from herds that are not yours you're going to be living in houses that you didn't build you're going to have the riches of the ah, you're going to have everything and he says now be careful that when all things go well you don't forget God when things are going well when you're not suffering that persecution, those trials, the temptations, the testings, if you're not aware, if you don't pay attention to that, you're setting yourself up for, what did we call that? A a deadly force incident. Why do I call it a deadly force incident? The thief cometh, not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the goal of the enemy. Do you remember in uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8? Be on the lookout, be aware, pay attention. In other words, be alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we're told right there to do this. Right there in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, we're told to have that kind, this kind of a mentality. The combat hunter, combat tracker, combat profiler. The one who's aware and looking around. I want to look at a couple more things. The destroying, devouring, disrupting, distracting, and disservicing. Remember in um, 1 Corinthians 10... Paul says, this is what the children of Israel did. Remember, they sat down to eat and they rose up to play. So I don't want you guys to do that and become idolaters. And they grumbled, and I don't want you guys to do that. He went through the whole thing with them and he says, now these things were written for our example so that we would not crave evil things. And the next verse or the next couple verses later, he says, Flee idolatry. So when we begin to, to look at things and be aware and say, okay, man, I'm really craving that. <laughs> I, I find myself really craving that. I had a friend who, um, after several years, made a comment, I find myself no longer free to listen to oldie-goldie music, the old 60s, 70s music. He said, I, I don't find myself free to do that anymore because it sets me up for being distracted. Whoa, I appreciate that. I really like the oldie-goldie music. <laughs> so, he also, we're also told, beware, take heed, watch, stay awake. He says, uh, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's an interesting one. Because what happened shortly after temptation? Bang. Bane. That's what happens. So I want to talk to you about the, the way that they train the military to be aware. They have a thing called a baseline. They say every environment that you find yourself in has a normal condition. That's the baseline. Anything that is there that shouldn't be there is an anomaly, and anything that's not there that should be there is an anomaly. And so they talk about these guys walking through the villages in Afghanistan, and they've walked through that village every day for nine months, and there's always been these little kids playing, and this old grandpa drinking tea, and they walk through it one day, and it's silent, and everybody's gone. There's nobody there. That's an anomaly, because what's normally there is gone. Well, the thing that that did it for these guys is that they continued through. And their convoy, I think it had six vehicles in it. The front one was a Bradley, which is a 22-ton armored vehicle that carries 18 soldiers. And after the IEDs went off, it was found blown 60 feet away 22 tons blown 60 feet away but they waited until the whole convoy got over the daisy chain of IEDs and then they set them all off they didn't pay attention they weren't noticing what was going on they didn't notice that whoa something's not right here and so how do we do that as Christians so what's normal and expected Let's take our own personal Christian life. What is, to coin a phrase, what does the normal Christian life look like? Watchman Nee wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. What does it look like? Well, there's faith. That's a, that's a real biggie in the normal Christian life. If you're having problems with doubts, something's a matter. You need to deal with it. Because if you don't, you're setting yourself up for bane. I was listening to a, a book by William Lane Craig um, just yesterday. And he said that a young man came up to him at, in Sweden, I think it was. He'd been raised a Christian, and when he went to the, to college in Sweden, they had persuaded him away from his faith to the point where he was contemplating suicide. He'd forsaken the faith. He says, there's nothing worth living for. I'm just gonna kill myself. A friend invited him to William Lane Craig's uh, lecture on the existence of God. And afterward, he came up and he says, you saved my life. He said, I was raised a Christian and I lost my faith. I saw that there was no reason to continue to live. And I had plans in place to commit suicide tomorrow. That would have been a bane that you couldn't recover from. So, love. Love one another. Love your enemies. Love the brothers. Love God. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. There's a whole lot. If you find yourself not loving somebody, the next result is gonna be bane. if you don't take care of it. Be aware of these things, notice them. Humility. We already saw that if we're not humble and we're proud, not only does the enemy attack us, but God makes us his enemy. So now we're getting caught in a crossfire between God and the enemy. Under authority. Great faith is what somebody who's under authority is called, according to Jesus. If you find yourself being rebellious, mm, be aware of those things. Watch yourself. Be in that color-coded yellow about your own life. How about your family? If you notice one of your children acting not quite the way that they're used to be, uh, you're used to them acting. Be aware of it. Don't say, oh. And Brandon was talking about um, the stream and how it's not working so well and we've got a bunch of stuff to do to get it fixed. and, and, And I said, so did it used to work fine? He says, well, there was a lot of little glitches in it that we just sort of overlooked. And so what happened to it, when Nathan was doing this, the day before yesterday, is that the stream went down. Period, it quit. Bang happened. <laughs> Why? We just we thought, well, these are just little things. They're, it's not a big deal. You know, I can I can deal with that. You know, just because my son decided that he was gonna do whatever he did, no big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal because that is an entry point for the enemy into your family. What about bearing fruit? You find yourself not praising God and being thankful and and rejoicing. Better take a look as to why. These are um, what they call pre-event indicators that happen before the enemy attacks. We don't have to wait until we're demon-possessed to deal with the enemy in our life. All we have to do is deal with it before it happens. Repent, exert self-discipline, self-control. And what about the church? What about the church? This is where pastors and leaders come in. This is where um, we need to be aware, we need to communicate clearly, They have a comment in security that says, if you see something, say something. I propose that we go beyond that. If you see something and say something, then do something. (laughs) Don't let it happen. Don't let bang happen. Again, if you're suffering persecution, that's within the confines of the baseline of the normal Christian life. So if you're not suffering persecution, you better figure out why. If you're having no tribulations in your life, and Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation, then you've got a pre-event indicator that the enemy has access to your life and will be defeating you shortly. Destroying you, devouring you, deceiving you, distracting you. So, I want us to pay attention to the indicators that God has given us. Even in the Word of God, this whole concept is laid out for us. Be aware, pay attention. Notice that the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So, we study well, who does a lion devour in a herd? The old people, the young people, and the sick people. Or cows, or antelope, or whatever else is in the herd. So that, that puts us on alert. Say, oh, look at Dan. <laughs> He's old. We need to be sure that we support him in prayer. Look at somebody who's maybe suffering from a sickness... Or from a loss or something. What is it that makes it so that that the enemy is going to find a foothold in that person's life, enter in and destroy and devour them when the evidence was there for us to see if we were alert and watching? So I want us to be aware that, yes, the enemy can attack. And we do need to take care of that. But I believe that more often than not, we can be aware of it before it happens, shut the door, close off that foothold, and maybe we'll be persecuted, but that's fine. But losing your faith? That's not fine. We can be, um, we can suffer trials. That's fine. But being devoured spiritually? That's not, that's not fine. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being a God such as you are, that loves us, that provides everything that we have need of for life and godliness, including being able to walk in a way that avoids the attack of the enemy. I ask you, Father, to give us wisdom, to keep us alert, to help us to be aware of these things, so that we cannot be those who are consumed, who are devoured, who are deceived and, and uh, distracted from the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. Pray for your blessing on us, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.